This is a podcast from the South China Morning Post. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Eat Drink Asia. I'm Alkira Reinfrank, and I'm Bernice Chan. Our star today is a classic food item that actually just celebrated its 82nd birthday. It was born in America, but is hugely popular in Asia. Okay, enough of the hook. We've got to save the rest for later. Today's episode is all about spam. What do they have? They have spam, spam and egg, and the bomb, which is spam, barbecue chicken, katsu chicken, and cheese. So to do this tasting, we went to a Hawaiian restaurant in Hong Kong because spam is extremely popular in Hawaii. So growing up, Benice and I didn't really eat processed meat, and we definitely hadn't tried spam before we even came into this episode. So we were both a little uncertain because, like, how can meat come out of a can? And the fact that um, spam doesn't have to be refrigerated—like, what type of meat is that? Like, is it still meat? <laughs> but after a few bites, we were sold. Look, it's- it's super delicious. It's probably like packed with enough salt and sugar and stuff that I definitely want to eat more. <laughs> I'm sold. <laughs> Born at the end of the Great Depression and made famous during World War II, more than 8 billion cans of Spam have been eaten over the last 82 years. Listen, when you have a product that answers real needs, then it will become popular, and that's what happened with the, with the Spam. It didn't just feed soldiers, but they also used the oil from Spam to keep their weapons in good shape. Uh, the soldiers used it to grease their, ga- their guns with it, and also t- to make their boots waterproof. It's an iconic American brand, but so many people outside of America feel deeply connected to it. Eating it as a kid growing up is something that I remember Fondly, you know. Today, spam might not be as popular in its home country as it was seven decades ago. Especially in America, where spam is one of those poor man's, you know, canned meat products that people don't make funny faces when you say the word spam. <laughs> yes. But, um... but it can be found everywhere on this side of the world. The Philippines, Malaysia, Singapore, Hong Kong, you name it. Spam is even a luxury food gift in South Korea often packaged with high-end olive oil and fine spices in a fancy box. You give it to family and friends on holidays. Look, I like Spam now, but don't you ever think about giving it to me as a gift, please. (laughs) But for some people, Spam has a negative image. However, some chefs in the States are doing their best to overcome the stigma. To let people know that this is who we are, this is where we come from. This is Eat Drink Asia, where in each episode we deep dive into an Asian food that's gone global. We've got a lot on the go. Stay with us. Okay, so where does the story start? So the the spam introduced to the market in uh, 1937 by a company that is called Hormel Food Corporation. This is Ayala Rubio. I am a professor at the Broad College of Business at Michigan State University. Professor Rubio specializes in consumer behavior research. And Spam, she says, is a product that meets the real needs of consumers at different times. Now, back to the 30s. 
remember uh, 37 was kind of the last year of the Great Depression. The woman in the home. Not often do you hear her grandchildren sigh for the good old days. Not if they really know how she labored from dawn to dark. So um, people still struggle with everyday existence. So And they introduce this product as affordable, family-friendly size canned pork meat. And it has some distinct characteristic that appeal to um, the people of that time. First of all, it wasn't expensive at all. Second of all, you can uh, store it uh, with no refrigeration, which a lot of people, you know, back then didn't have refrigeration or refrigerator were quite expensive. So for a family that, you know, wants meat on the table on some occasion, that, that was a very good solution. Spam only has six ingredients, pork, salt, water, potato starch, sugar, and sodium nitrate. And it's extremely versatile. There are hundreds of ways to prepare Spam, and that's what makes it so appealing to people. I mean, whatever you want to cook, I mean, cook it, bake it, whatever you want to do it, you can do with it. You can eat it in so many different ways. You can grill it or barbecue it, and and it will still be good. Mm. So it's like this was a a cheap way to get their hands on some meat that was extremely versatile. Yes, absolutely. And when did it become, I guess, hugely popular in the U.S.? Uh, So what happened was that during that time, Europe was struggling with World War II that the Americans um, only joined later. I asked that the Congress declare that since the unprovoked and dastardly attack by Japan on Sunday, December 7th, 1941, a state of war has existed between the United States and the Japanese Empire. Only then really the spam started to uh, be widely recognized because at the beginning it wasn't that successful actually it, it did struggle but in 41 when the American joined World War II every soldier had it in his backpack you know and they, this is what they ate and again, the characteristics of this product that you don't need refrigeration to store it, you can, it's cheap, you can make it in a thousand different ways, it doesn't matter where you come from, you can cook it, you know, all those elements help it to become very, very popular during World War II. And by the time the war ended, think about it, there was no one soldier that didn't, you know, eat that thing. And when they came back home, they came back with that. They knew where the product is. They had experience with it. They had a lot of connection to it. And, and you know, they started to develop like, this nostalgic connection because it reminded them what they went through and the experiences that they had. And it, it was just in almost every house. And it wasn't that cheap thing anymore. It was part of 
American mm. history. And it wasn't just, they weren't just eating the Spam, but there was, they had other purposes for it while they were away at war too, right? Yes. Well, which is actually a funny story. So uh, the original Spam, they changed the formula, I think in 2009, but the original Spam has this thick layer of almost gelatin thing that it, it was the fat that kind of, uh, through the process of making it, uh, kind of layered uh, on top of the, the product. So when you opened the can, you saw that layer. Um, the soldier used it to grease their, ga- their guns with it and also t- to make their boots waterproof. So, you know, if you needed a little bit more reason to love this product, here you go. You can do a lot of things with it. Not only did the war make spam popular among American soldiers, but it also introduced it to people in Asia. That is correct. So everywhere the soldiers went, uh, a lot of times they shared, you know, they shared a lot of things with the local populations because in most places that they went, the local population was starving, whether if it's in Europe or in Asia. So, you know, the American soldiers, they, they shared everything. They shared their food, they shared their chocolate, they shared their clothes, and they shared the spam. And for many, many people, and in Asia in particular, the spam was the only meat that they could get their hands on, you know? So um, when they left, they left the spam with the local population that adopted it very favorably. And again, going back to the same original characteristics, cheap, needs no refrigeration, uh, can be sto- you know can be stored for a very long time, and you can make it in almost any feasible way that you can think of. So it doesn't matter if you're an American or Chinese or you know or British. You make it the way you make your food, and it tastes familiar. Does it make sense? Mm-hmm. You can you can alter it the way that you want to meet your I guess diet. Exactly. So it doesn't feel that you're eating something that is strange to you. You just feel that you eat something that is familiar, yet it is not because it's an American brand. And that is another element that kind of helped the Spam become iconic in Asia because it it was a taste of America without being in America, you know. Um, it's like it's like drinking Coke. I mean, you can't, you can't afford traveling to America, but you, you can eat America or drink America or enjoy a little piece of America um, in your life. Also, we, we developed like a palette for like um, American things. This is Jordi Navarra, chef and owner of Toyo Eatery in Manila in the Philippines. And Spam definitely is like one of those things where it's new. It was imported from America. And for us, it was like, oh, this is, this is a like a snapshot into what Americans eat. So something. So something exotic. Yeah, so some, yeah. yeah exotic, something exotic. But, but easy to eat, you know. Like it's not it's not like crazy. It's still pork, you know. We we love our pork. Right, you do. Yeah. <laughs> Jordy tells us when he was growing up, spam was a food his mom would prepare for him, and because of that, it became his comfort food. It, it could be funny that. You know, you look at spam as like comforting, but 
it's some of the one of the few things that that my mom would prepare for me, and in that sense, I enjoyed it just because it came from her, you know. And how would she prepare it? Just really simple, sliced and then in the pan, and then we just eat it with rice. It's still a popular way of having spam in Southeast Asia. People slice it up, fry it up in a pan, and serve it on steamed rice for breakfast, lunch, or dinner. Just like how Jordi had it as a kid. Now, Homel Foods, the company that produces spam, is a textbook example of good marketing. Even the name spam, which does sound a bit odd, was chosen from a naming contest in the 1930s. So they have this name contest, and they ask people to um, offer or suggest names for this product. And uh, people participated, but surprisingly, or not surprisingly, um, the, the winner of the context, I think he was the brother of the vice president of the company or something like that. He was actually an actor and he got $100, which was a lot of money back then, um, for his proposal. Why it is spam or what it spam means your guess is good as anyone's because the company will not reveal it. Um, some believe it's, um, you know, a combination of sliced ham or something like that. But, but still, you know, 80 years later, we're still talking about it. We're still interested in the product. We're still thinking about what the name means. And there you go. Mm. They were successful. They did what they were supposed to do. But, Okira, what about the junk emails? Why is it associated with canned meat? Yeah, well, this is the funny thing, that junk email, as in spam, actually got its name from the canned meat spam, but in a kind of roundabout way. And the funny thing is, when you tell people about the spam, when they talk about the spam, they will never, they, they never connect it to the spam, spam junk email that we get. <laughs> but, in fact... The spam junk email that we, we get, the reason why you call it spam, is because um, in that Mo- Monty Python um, play, they repeated the word spam over 130 times. What you got then? By the way, for our millennial listeners, Monty Python's Flying Circus is a British comedy TV show that aired on the BBC in the 1960s. Spam, bacon, sausage and spam. Spam, egg, spam, spam, bacon and spam. Spam, 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 egg and spam. Spam, 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 When you're repeating something redundant over and over and over and over again, you know, this is a spam. So is that why we call it spam? Is that why email spam is actually named after spam the food? Well, because of the Monty via Monty Python. Yep, it just become like um, uh, analogy for redundancy. It's amazing. I had no idea. And see, nobody, nobody even think about it. But that's pretty much what it is. Wow. When World War II ended in 1945, the brand worked hard to stay relevant. They started the Spam Festival. They built a Spam Museum. They had recipe contests, not only in the U.S., but around the world. They even had Hormel Girls, who were basically brand ambassadors at that time, flying around cheering up the troops. Hello, 
they quickly locked on their new target market, housewives. The post-war era wasn't an easy time for Americans either. Resources were limited, and people turned to products like Spam for a cheap source of meat. Do you think it's quite amazing to think this idea that it was because of the war that you see this food migration to Asia? I, I think that it's amazing that this food became popular to begin with just because of the war. You know, how many things become popular because of the war? But this one did. It, listen, when you have a product that answers real needs, then it will become popular. And that's what happened with the, with the spam. There's some things that are like truly American, right? So Coca-Cola is American. It's the happiness of America. Um, apple pie is home, right? Spam is endurance. Is we we will do. We will survive no matter how hard it will get, and we are strong. I think this is what it resembles or what it reminds the American people over and over again. God bless. And it's something dependable, and the American appreciate that brand for being there in the hard times and helping them. So that connection is very, very hard to break. You can find Spam in 44 countries now in countries like the Philippines, Malaysia, Singapore, people eat it all the time. In South Korea, you can find Spam packed in fancy gift boxes, just like fine wines as gifts for families and friends. But things are not the same at home in the U.S. Especially in America, I'm not sure about in Hong Kong, um, you know, where Spam is one of those poor man's, you know, canned meat product that people don't like and kind of wince and, you know, make funny faces when you say the word spam. <laughs> yes. But, um, you know, you know, people usually tend to do that, right? Yeah. They, you know, make a funny face. This is Chef Chung Chow. He is the chef owner of Narita, a Hawaiian restaurant in New York. And just like everywhere else, spam is also a legacy of war in Hawaii. Spam is a very important thing to the culture of Hawaii. It has, uh, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things that you grew up with eating as a child, even you know, into your adult life. During World War II, Spam was one of the scarce food rations that people ate. But now, Hawaiians consume about 7 million cans of Spam each year. The most well-known Spam dish from Hawaii is probably masubi, which is what we're eating in this shop. And here's a fun fact. Former U.S. President Barack Obama who was born in Hawaii, is also a fan of Span Masubi. Um, it's kind of like a poor man's sushi, if you want to put it that way. Okay. So you have a slab of, or a, a thick slice of Span, which has been sauteed on both sides. And it's usually coated in a little bit of sweet uh, soy sauce, soy sauce and a little bit of sugar and whatnot. And it's wrapped in a piece of nori. And it's usually just wrapped all around, you know, until you're ready to consume it. So Chow brought the Spam dishes he grew up with to his restaurant in New York. 
and they are more refined and gourmet, but still, it's a bold move. So do New York diners get it? Do they, or do they have raised eyebrows when they see this on the menu? I think we've got we've gotten both definitely. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I can't say that it is the most popular dish because you have to come with an open mind, right? You know, to enjoy that, but be- because we are kind of like associated as being kind of semi-Asian cooking restaurant because you know I'm from Hawaii and Hawaii has a lot of Asian flavors, right? Uh, we do attract a good amount of Asian clientele, and by definition, that it's spam is already in their cuisine, in their diet, right? So. Before opening Norita, Chef Chow worked at Per Se, a very famous and high-end restaurant in New York. Yeah, you know, I've been in fine dining for, who knows, 10, 12 years. Yeah, I want to do something more reflective of who I am. I think Spam was one of those things that had identity that I wanted to carry on into my restaurant to let people know that this is who we are, this is where we come from. I wanted to cook food for people who who can enjoy it more often, you know. Like a restaurant like Per Se, you would go there maybe once every five years, right? Right. Or or maybe more if you can afford it, right? So, you know, I didn't want, you know, our friends and family to not come to your own restaurant, right? Right. Because they can't afford it or because it was too ca- too, fa- too fancy for them or, you know, whatever it is. Because my parents would never dine out and spend that much money personally, yeah. right? Yeah. They would, yeah. They would just, they would think I'm, I'm crazy, you know? Yeah. So, you know, by doing something more casual, approachable, you know, you can come dine at a restaurant once a week, twice a week, you know, however you feel like. And, you know, it's approachable and it's affordable and, you know, it's tasty. So, you know, just something that we wanted to do. Who would have thought that Spam has such a rich story? Food is such an inherent part of our identity and, and who we are. And it's beautiful to see people who treasure it and protect it. Right, so I guess we're not saying goodbye to Spam then. Definitely not. I'm not complaining that we've had to try it today. I don't think the American will ever, um, you know, depart from the Spam. It means too much to them. Uh, but you know, maybe we'll not consume it as much, but every once in a while, they will come back to it. If you've never tried Spam, I highly recommend you get into your closest shop and crack a can open. And it really helps to be open-minded too. And if you've already tried it, we hope this episode made you crave more of the canned good stuff. Does that make sense? Not really. It's like overselling a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> this episode is produced and edited by Yang Yang. And we also want to thank Ayala Rubio, Jordi Navarra, and Chong Chow. If you want to ask us about a dish or a drink, tweet us at Beijing Calling and at Alkira Ryan Frank. Eat Drink Asia is a monthly podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and Shimalaya. Basically, anywhere you listen to your podcasts. Until next time, happy eating! Happy eating!